Good morning. It is so good to be here with you today. My name is Megan Peterson, and if you are new to Great Oaks today, so am I. Um, I live in Minneapolis with my husband, Jeff, and our 18-month-old son, Luke, and we are excited to welcome another baby in November. And oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, I've served in local church youth ministry uh, for the last 10 years, and now I primarily stay at home with Luke, um, but I'm also doing some interim middle school work at our church right now, and uh, in Minnesota is where I got to know Jason Roten, and that is how I ended up in Germantown, Hills, Illinois today. Um, but I want to see, are there any miracle camp goers? here today. Yes, I've been to Miracle Camp. It is fantastic. I met Jason when I was serving at a church in Indiana, and um, it turned out that we ended up having the opportunity to work together in Minneapolis. Um, I called him and I said, hey, there's this job, and he laughed, and Corey laughed, and uh, a few months later, they moved to Minneapolis. And when you ask someone to move to Minnesota, it's only fair that you pet sit for them, right? And so I don't know if you've met Blaze. She is very energetic, which is kind of like the Minnesota nice way for saying that she is crazy. And this is, yeah, this is a picture of Blaze. And I was pet sitting for the weekend. Last day of pet sitting, I don't even know exactly what happened, to be honest. But I look up, and Blaze is out the door, down the street, blocks away. I run after this dog, because it's one thing to lose your own dog, that's bad. It's another thing to lose your friend's dog. That's really bad. So I am running down the street in my skirt and sandals, going to get this dog, and I didn't grab the leash, of course, and I just dragged her all the way back by her collar, and I got home, and I was out of breath, but feeling accomplished, and I look, and their cat, who I have never seen move from the top of the couch in the family room was under the car in the driveway. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. It was one of the mo those moments where you're like, I had one job. Megan, you had one job and you almost blew it. The Rotans did never ask me to pet sit again. I'm just gonna put that out there. At the end of the escapade, we had one of those, you had one job moments. Haven't we all had those? Where we get to the end of the day or the week and it feels like, man, I had one job and I just failed at it. I've had so many moments like this at school, at work, in relationships. And I can tell you that becoming a parent has only magnified those feelings of inadequacy. There was a moment uh, when Luke was like two or three months old. I don't even know exactly when this happened because the lack of sleep, everything is such a blur. But I, he, he was a serious spitter-upper. Like, it was everywhere all the time. And we finally figured out that he had some reflex stuff going on, and so we put him on some medication that had to be refrigerated. And this one day, I left the $60, almost brand new bottle of medicine out on the counter overnight. I felt like I had totally failed. As a mom, I felt like I had failed my husband. 
I was like, I cannot do this. I've been a mom for two months and I'm already leaving his medicine on the counter. And I just broke down in tears that night. Thinking, what am I doing? Maybe you've had those moments. Maybe you've had those moments. You know, we have those moments of failure, like the pet sitting, and we look back and we can laugh and it's ridiculous. And then we have these other moments of failure that start to stack up and we start to carry them around with us. And they start to become a heavy burden. And we wear this label of failure into our relationship with Jesus, don't we? That we feel like we're unworthy or we can't be loved by him because of the guilt and shame and regret that we might carry. But the good news today is that we don't have to live that way. There is another way. And what we're going to see in the passage today is that in our failures, Jesus never fails to forgive. In our failures, Jesus never fails to forgive. Will you pray with me as we enter into our time together? Father God, we are so grateful to be here in this place. God, we pray that in our moments of failure, you would remind us of your forgiveness. As we open your word today, give us grace. Amen. Stories have the power to shape how we understand the world. We have spent the weekend hanging out with the Rotans, um, eating really good tacos at Cayenne, going to the Peoria Zoo, doing all kinds of super fun things, and we miss them so much. And don't, when you get together with people you haven't seen for a while, what do you do? You tell stories. You tell stories, right? And I love that we're doing this series called Favorites, that each week we get to hear a story from God's word that has shaped and formed people for hundreds of years. So before we move into our story for this morning, I want to briefly consider how we approach the word. Whether you've been studying scripture for a long time or you're new to the Bible, I want to offer that when we come to the stories of the Bible, we first look at who God is. We first understand who God is, right? And then secondly, we get to understand more about who we are, our identity, our purpose, and our belonging in this world. So I chose the story we're going to spend time in today because it has been a biblical narrative that has significantly impacted my life as someone who really struggles to receive God's forgiveness when I fail. This passage continues to help me understand Jesus better and in turn who I am as a forgiven follower of Jesus. We're going to spend time in Luke 7 today, starting in verse 36 through 50, and it takes place around a table. And I want to set the table, so to speak, as we imagine together what it would have been like to be there. I want you to imagine that there's a prominent religious leader in town. They're going to be dining at another religious leader's house, and his name is Simon. It's open to everyone who's interested, though technically uninvited guests. You eat dinner at your own house, and then you help get the kids ready for bed, do whatever you have to do that night, and then you take an evening walk down to Simon's house. And what you see in here is going to have a lasting impact on your life. You enter the house, and Jesus is there reclining at the table with a group 
of men. They're talking about important things like the happenings of the town, their views on religion, the law, and every once in a while someone throws in a lighthearted joke. They're eating and drinking together, they're relaxed, and you sense it's not hostile in the room, but there's not really a sense of camaraderie either. And then something completely unexpected happens. All eyes turn when a woman who has been listening in steps forward. And she's awkwardly trying to reach Jesus' head. But when she can't easily reach, she kneels down at his feet. All of a sudden, tears begin flowing. Her emotion fills the room. Wait, you've seen this woman around town before. You've heard the murmurs when she walks by. She is a sinner. What is she doing? And what will Jesus, this religious teacher, thinking, think of her touching him? She breaks an alabaster jar of perfume, an extremely expensive gift, and she begins pouring it over his feet, his feet that are black from the dusty roads. And then she begins wiping them with her hair, and the smell permeates the room so strongly that it becomes hard to even breathe. You watch to see what is Jesus going to do next. After all, this perfume could have cost a year's worth of wages, and it seems so wasteful to pour it all on this man's feet. Not to mention the fact that she just let down her hair in front of a group of men, touched a holy man, and is weeping in the middle of an important dinner. And yet Jesus seems frustrated and disappointed, but not with the woman. It's hard to hear everything going on with all of the people starting to react on the sidelines. And then the room becomes silent again as Jesus stands up and is no longer looking at Simon, but he turns to the woman. He tells Simon what he already knows. Simon did not go above and beyond to show any extra hospitality to Jesus, but this woman has shown incredible love through her actions. And then Jesus speaks these words over the woman. He says, your sins are forgiven. The onlookers around you erupt again, this time much louder and joined by the people at the table. Who is this? He even is forgiving sin. You aren't sure what to think. What just happened? Jesus looks at the woman before she leaves and he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. If you have your Bibles with you, you're going to turn to the YouVersion app. We are going to be in Luke 7, 36 through 50 for the next few minutes where we find the account of this story. And we're going to break it down, kind of talk about who does it tell us, what does it tell us about who God is, and what does it tell us about who we are. Starting verse 36, it says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. As we continue the story, we do learn that the Pharisee's name is Simon, and a Pharisee was really just a super religious leader who was determined not to break any of God's laws in the Old Testament. They were so concerned with not failing to obey God that they made up more laws that they thought would keep them from sinning. 
They were essentially trying to do what was right. But instead, what we see Jesus point out time and time again in scripture in his interactions with Pharisees is that their self-righteousness hindered their relationship with the Lord. So this is kind of the context that we're in. And Simon must see Jesus as like a respectable social equal if he was going to invite Jesus to his house. But we kind of see that shift throughout the story. So we get to verse 37. It says, a woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at a Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now to us, we read this, and it seems really strange that a woman who is not part of the guest list would come to dinner. We can't really just picture someone walking into our house uninvited like this. But the scene in Jesus' day was a bit different. And the woman would quickly surpass social norms of even his day. Because it wasn't uncommon when there was a prominent religious leader in town for dinner that people would just come and sit around the outside of the table to listen in on the discussion. But was was significantly different was, of course, this woman did not stay on the sidelines. And also, taking down her hair, unbinding her hair, was considered really shameful in this context. It was a common practice to anoint one's head with oil as a sign of respect and honor, but to pour an expensive bottle of perfume on Jesus' feet that was worth an entire year of salary was a sign of this woman's extravagant love and humility. She seems to have forgotten who she is surrounded by. And she's only focused on who she's in the presence of, Jesus. She's overwhelmed with gratitude and emotion, and she doesn't bring a towel with her, but without hesitation, she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. This is an incredible act of worship by this woman. But Simon doesn't seem to think the same way. Verse 39 says that when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. The woman doesn't say anything during this account. And her sin is not identified, but her reputation definitely goes before her. The people around the table that night would have known her sin, but as we read it today, I actually really appreciate that we don't know her specific sin because we can put ourselves in her place more easily. Our human nature is to judge other sins as worse than our own sin, isn't it? We are experts at ranking sin, but Jesus simply sees sin as sin. Jesus doesn't rank sin. And Simon, when he calls the woman a sinner, it comes directly from the Greek word hamartia, which means sin or a failure in an ethical sense, a failing to hit the mark. As Jesus lets this sinful woman touch him, he is no longer a prophet in Simon's eyes. 
to associate with, not to mention touch a sinful woman, disqualified Jesus as a proper religious leader. In the middle of this exchange, Jesus tells Simon a story to further back up his actions. Simon never says any of this directly to Jesus, but he didn't have to because Jesus knew what he was thinking and feeling. I think it's kind of interesting that in verse 40 it says Jesus answered him, but Simon never asked Jesus anything. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. We don't even have to know what a denarii is when we read this to understand that one owes 500 of these and one owes 50. And Simon replies, it seems like there's some reluctance here in Simon's voice when he says, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then to further illustrate his point, in verse 44, it says that he turned toward the woman. I don't think we can miss Jesus' body language as we read this part. The shift away from Simon and towards the woman is a big deal. He looks at the woman, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? What an incredible question from a woman who wasn't even supposed to be there, who wasn't supposed to touch a religious leader, who wasn't supposed to do any of the things that she had just done. And Jesus looks and says, Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet. You did not give me a kiss. You did not put oil on my head. But this woman has done all of these things to the nth degree. As we read this today, we hear washing feet, giving a kiss, putting oil on one's head as very strange ways to say, welcome to my home. Think about things like we offer someone a drink, we ask if they want to sit down, we take their coat, etc. Right? Like these are ways that we offer hospitality as people come in. And Simon has not done any of the actions that, while not required to welcome a guest, would have shown Jesus love and welcome and hospitality. The Pharisee did not choose to go above and beyond any standards, and Jesus contrasted his lack of action with the woman's sincere, extravagant love. What's more significant even than Simon failing to welcome Jesus in his home is that Jesus knows that Simon has failed to receive the forgiveness that he's offering. And then Jesus has his mic drop moment. When he looks at the woman, he says, your sins are forgiven. the other guests start to respond, who is this who even forgives sin? Jesus looks at the woman and says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Don't miss that Jesus doesn't dismiss her sin. There is a reason why this woman has been labeled a sinner by her neighbors. She has been living in sin, hamartia, 
going against what God intended for her life. And he doesn't brush over her sin or ignore it. He does something so much more powerful and profound. He forgives her sin. And in our failure, Jesus never fails to forgive. Because the reality is that everyone in the room wore the same label, sinner, and so do we. And the words Jesus speaks over the woman are the same words that he speaks over everyone who comes to Jesus' feet and expresses the need for forgiveness. Jesus went to the cross and died for the sins of the woman. He died for Simon's sins, and he died for the sins of you and I. After Jesus died and rose again and returned to the Father in heaven, Paul is speaking to a group of people. He's preaching to what we would consider both church insiders and church outsiders, and he says this in Acts 13, 38. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. I think this is so much at the heart of what Jesus was talking about when he came, why he came, and this forgiveness that we can receive. And don't you wish sometimes that when Jesus came and died on the cross to forgive our sins, that it was just no longer a part of our lives? I don't need to elaborate on the evidence of ethical failures and brokenness that is all around us. And yet I can look at and quickly point out the sins of others and elevate them above my own. And I find myself in the same place of self-righteousness that Simon does. But then in moments of grace, I pause long enough to let the Holy Spirit reveal the sin in my own life and convict me of my failure to trust and follow Jesus. Sin has been showing up in my life lately when I judge other parents. And then I find myself going home and doing the same thing that I just judged the other parents for doing. It shows up in my words when I speak harshly about a coworker, a friend, or a family member. It shows up every time I think that I am better than someone else or my sin is not as bad as someone else's sin. It shows up daily as I try and fail out of my own strength. Jesus didn't come to simply reveal our sin. The good news is that he came to forgive us. Okay, so I want you to stay with me for a minute. We're going to do a really quick grammar lesson, which some of you will love and some of you will not love. But stay with me, because I think it's really powerful and pertinent to what Jesus is saying. And we understand more about the depth of Jesus' statement when he says, your sins are forgiven. The verb forgiven that Jesus speaks is in the perfect, passive, indicative tense. Okay, you don't have to remember all that. What I want you to remember is what it means. I'm going to go through this quickly. Perfect tense means that the action has been completed and the results of the action are continuing on. Jesus' forgiveness is final and the results are continuing. Passive voice means that the subject of the sentence is not the performer of the action, but the recipient. Okay? Don't miss this passive voice. When you are 
passive in a situation, it means that you don't do anything, right? Jesus says this. He says, you are forgiven. He is reminding us that we can't do anything to earn God's forgiveness. We simply receive it. The woman didn't earn God's forgiveness because she had poured expensive perfume on his feet. She had already received God's forgiveness. And then indicative just means that it's a statement of fact. So in summary, it's as if Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven. It's a fact and it's final, but it impacts your future and you don't have to do anything to earn it. You simply receive it. I imagine the woman having received God's forgiveness, walking away with her head held higher than she had ever held it, her eyes red from crying, but her sense of self-worth more intact than it had ever been. And in contrast, Simon fails to receive forgiveness. He instead rejects it, and it's as if Jesus acknowledged his rejection when he turned to the woman. We have a choice every day if we are going to recognize our sin and receive God's forgiveness or reject it. We have that choice every day. Last fall, I was teaching our middle school group at church, and I asked them to write down what they needed from Jesus that week. They wrote it on post-it notes for a few minutes as music played, and then they brought their request to the cross. And what they wrote, it broke my heart, and it brought me to my knees. And I believe that these 11, 12, and 13-year-olds have something to teach us today about receiving God's forgiveness. There were 40 post-its hanging on the cross with prayers like this. Jesus, I need confidence and to believe in myself and that I'm good enough. I need a place where I can belong at school. I want a hug. Don't you just want to give this student a hug right now? Another student wrote, I need to know that I am loved and enough and not ugly for my friends to not hate me and to not hate myself and to feel like what I do is enough and to be able to help my class to know when it's okay to not have to say sorry and to know that I don't need approval from others. Love me, Jesus. Another student wrote, God, I need you to forgive me and I need help with a lot of stress from school. Students, maybe some of you are in that place. You've been in that place this year and now you're like, oh good, it's summer. Maybe you are just in a place where you relate to this student who wrote, I need forgiveness and perseverance this week. We all need the forgiveness that Jesus offers. No matter how young or old you are or what you have done, Jesus sees you. Just as he saw the woman. The woman doesn't have a name in the story, but Jesus knew her name. Jesus knows each of us by name. He knows our stories. He knows where we've been, and he wants to speak the freedom of forgiveness over our futures. We don't have to live carrying the weight of our sin and our failures because Jesus died on the cross and rose again so that we can instead live with him no longer separated by sin. 
I started by saying that the Bible first teaches us about who God is. One of the things we learned today is that God is a God of forgiveness. And then we learn about who we are. And as we close, I just want you to think about who are you in the story today? Who do you identify with? Maybe you identify with the woman. Even this morning, perhaps God has revealed in your life a sin, something that is standing between you and God. And you are humble and ready to turn it over to him. Maybe you identify with Simon in the story. You've been relying on your own strength and you need God's help to humbly admit that you are in need of forgiveness. Or maybe you find yourself more in the place of the onlooker, the person sitting and watching all this happen. You're curious and you want to know more about God's forgiveness and that is a great place to start. I want you to know that no matter where you find yourself today, that you find yourself identifying with the woman or Simon or the onlooker, I want you to know that in our failure, Jesus never fails to forgive. And when we receive God's forgiveness, we can know the peace that surpasses all understanding and we can receive that benediction that Jesus gives the woman, those words he speaks to her at the end of the story. I believe he gives each one of us as we receive his forgiveness. When he looks at her and he says, go in peace. Will you pray with me? Father God, we are overwhelmed with gratitude as we think about your forgiveness and the freedom in life that we find when we come and we receive your forgiveness instead of rejecting it, thinking we can do it all on our own. God, I pray that daily you would help us to live into this identity as a forgiven people. And that when we sin and when is definitely the word that when we sin, that we know that we can come to you and you're always ready to forgive. We thank you for that truth this morning. Amen.